This is Prime Smart Customer 63, and today we're looking at the influence of a front wing on an F1 car on the wheel aerodynamics. And to do that, we're looking at a paper called The Influence of Front Wing Pressure Distribution on Wheel Awake Aerodynamics of an F1 Car. So the main difference between an F1 car and a regular car is that, well, they all have wheels, but the F1 car, the wheels have to be exposed. So they say here that one of the governing rules of F1 dictates that all four wheels of the car must be exposed. And this is a major difference between F1 cars and regular cars because wheels are a major contributor to drag and also just aerodynamics in general. So they say here for a F1 car, the wheels approximate approximately have 40% of the total drag of the car. Whereas for a passenger car, that value drops to around 25%. It's still a massive amount, but for an F1 car, it's almost like half the value in just the front wheels alone. Then you have the back wheels, which make up the rest, or like the, a bit more. So the wheels are incredibly draggy. And one of the main reasons for that is that it's so difficult to streamline. You know, <laughs> to, to make a wheel a wheel, it has to be circular. And circles are not really very streamlined. So you're kind of limited there. To overcome this, they make a lot of um, aerodynamic features ahead of it to control where the flow goes. So instead of just the flow hitting the wheel at any angle, they try to make these wings at the front, these elements, channel the flow in certain ways to reduce the wake of the wheel, to reduce the drag of it. And this is what this paper is about. It's investigating how these front wings, particularly with the new rules, which we'll discuss, affect the aerodynamics of the wheels and if that's good or not. So they say the mismanagement can result in regions of energy loss, so of the aerodynamics, and that has an impact on the performance of the downstream components. And that's true with every aerodynamics, like anything that happens upstream is going to affect something downstream. And with F1, because the cars are traveling in incompressible flow, very incompressible flow, the uh, are very subsonic, the information actually also translates upstream as well. So if something happens downstream, that will also affect upstream uh, aerodynamics as well but it's usually not as much as the effects of upstream to downstream. So they say, being the first element to encounter the free stream air, the front wing dictates the shape of the flow around the other components of the car. The front wing is responsible for generating a trailing vortex system consisting of several, consisting of several co-rotating vortices shed by end plates, strakes, and the central section of the wing. So let's talk about these different um, sections. So the end plates, they're... You know, if you have a wing you're going to, and you're producing lift or downforce, you're going to be producing a wingtip vortex. So if you strap an end plate to it, then that's going to really reduce that. That's akin to wingtip, um, like on on um, airplanes, wingtip flaps and that. The strakes, now to understand how a strake works, let's talk about how vorticity forms and how it sheds. So if you have a regular object and it's just a randomly shaped object, it's very, let's say it's quite smooth at the back. The vorticity will occur, will um, develop over the surface, and then it will start to shed randomly. The reason why it sheds randomly is because there's no point along there where the vorticity can really concentrate and then lift off. So what the strakes do is that they create these regions of um, non-uniformity in the in the surface, so that the vorticity can travel along that path and then shed from that point. And you see this on planes as well. If you look at the wings at the trailing edge, you'll see like these little um, these little darts coming out almost. And they're there to help channel the vorticity in certain regions. So by putting these strakes on certain points, you can control where the vorticity 
it leaves the surface and that where the vortices leave the surface and that helps you to redirect the flow to reduce drag and then finally the central section of the wing so that's potentially due to uh, separation or just other features so these vortices then control the wake of the front wheels by redirecting it away from the car concerning the near wake of an isolated wheel two researchers Merker and Benenberg named the structures observed on the side of the wheel where the tire meets the ground as jetting vortices. So what happens here is when you have a wheel and let's say it's on the ground, you have a contact patch. That's where it meets the, the surface. Now, so the air, imagine you're the air and you're traveling straight into the wheel. Where are you going to go? If you're near the upper part, like the upper half of the wheel, you might flow over the top, you might flow around the sides. But when you get uh, further down, close to the ground, there's so much air around you that um, you can't really flow that freely around the wheel. So all this edge gets crammed into this section in the contact patch area, and then that creates these vortices, and that's what's called a jetting vortex. And you have one on each side of the wheel when it's in contact with the ground. And the contact patch um, severely affects these jetting vortices. If you have a tread, then that greatly reduces the jetting vortices strength because some of the air can go underneath uh, the tire because of the tread pattern those little gaps if you don't have these uh, tread features and it's just a slick surface on the road then more air is going to be channeled into these jetting vortices and increase the strength of these vortices so this phenomenon called tire jetting happens because the tire squeezes the flow that becomes stationary in front making the air go around it and then this is for an isolated wheel, by the way. The same thing happens for F1 cars and passenger car wheels. However, the physics is slightly different, but the general features are still there. An additional investigation of the near wake of an isolated wheel rotating ground connect patch was carried out by Robin Knowles, that geezer. And they say he highlighted the following features of the main characteristics of such a wake. So one, a region of velocity deficit in the shape of an inverted T. Two, large regions of reverse flow behind the wheel. Three, a channeling vortex system consisting of two contra-rotating vortex pairs. That comes from, um, there's one around the contact patch. There's also one around the midsection of the wheel, which what's called the shoulders of the wheel. So like the shoulders are the um, edges. And then four, these ground vortices are larger, more defined, and convected further than the up, upper vortices. So he proposed that just upstream of the contact patch, the convergence of the tire and the road surfaces combine to produce a localized lateral jet on each side of the wheel. These jets deflect the free stream flow as it passes the lower shoulders of the wheel, so the edges, thus modifying its effective shape. So, testing for a Reynolds number of uh, 50,000, uh, a couple of researchers observed that the lower wing edge vortex, so when you have a wing in front of a a wheel, the lower wing edge vortex interacted with the wake of the wheel, creating an asymmetric structure. For low wing spans, this is interesting now, for lower wing spans, the vortex travels around the inside of the wheel, but for high wing spans, it travels on the outside. So this shows how this front element can really affect where the vortices are traveling and the wake of the wheel. Regarding the angle of attack of the uh, upstream wing, observations led to the conclusion that it defined the vortex's size, strength, and degree of movement. So again, how much the flow is being channeled and how much energy is left in the flow which will cover affects the vortex size and development. So some researchers uh, utilized a non-deformable tire to study the impact of the right height and wheel positioning, both experimentally and numerically. Let's talk about non-dimensional and non-deformable tires. 
So they do change the flow physics dramatically. Now the features are generally the same, but again, the magnitudes of different flow features are out of whack. And the reason why is because if you have a non-deformable tire, if you think about it, it's just a cylinder touching the surface at one point. It's, it's very minor, and that's where um, you could say that's zero degrees. Now, if you have a deformable tire, the contact patch squishes, like the, the bottom of the tire squishes now because you have a loading on it. And so a lot more of the tire is actually in contact with the ground. And that means that um, the air has to rush around in a different way, and that changes the flow physics. But as a general idea, uh, a non-deformable tire is very easy to do, and it does provide some insight. And back in the 80s, 90s, and even early 2000s, this was a fairly common thing to do. Now, if you do research with non-deformable tires, you, no one's really going to read it. But anyway, let's move on. In this study, they concluded that the primary downforce limiting mechanism was the vortex breakdown and then the separation. So the channeling effect, which created these uh, jetting vortices, allegedly enhanced the wheel rotation, or allegedly enhanced by the wheel rotation, was the primary downforce enhancing mechanism. So when you rotate a wheel, what happens is more flow, like if you look at the stagnation line on the wheel, it moves down and it changes how much um, flow is channeled into the jetting vortices and how much flow is channeled into the, up, the uh, upper vortices as well. So changes in the wing downforce were attributed to a combination of the wheel circulation effect, obstruction by the wheel, and dumping effects. So this is an upstream effect. If you have a wheel behind the wing and you change how this is moving, that affects how the wing performs as well. So that shows how uh, intimately coupled these two features are. So Bruckner studied the interaction between a double element wing and a wheel. A double element wing is just when you have effectively two airfoils making up the entire wing. And you can have mo you can have lots of elements. I think back in 2016 or something, and maybe a bit later, there were <laughs> the front elements were like 14 just for the one wing, and they became very complex. So a double element wing is quite simplistic, but the reason why it's important now is because the F1 rules have changed to simplify their front elements. And two element wings are now more within reach than they used to be. Back five years ago, two element wings were, if you wanted your car to suck, you'd make a two element wing. You had to have 14 elements or around that to make it good. Now you can get away with two elements because of different rules. So in comparison to the isolated case, the downforce produced by the wing was smaller for higher ride heights and bigger with less ground clearance. This was attributed to the position of the stagnation point on the wheel, promoting a higher pressure beneath or above the, wheel, above the wing, depending on the ride height. So in other words, a ground effect was really occurring, as expected. It was also concluded that at the lower ride height, wheel rotation had no impact on the downforce produced. The wing position was found to impact the wheel structure, observing an increased drag and lift at higher ride heights. So that's interesting. Obviously, the free direction of the flow changed with the ride height and made the wheels perform differently. So moving on to something called a gurney flap, and in podcast number 62, I cover gurney flaps, particularly on active flow control devices for cars. But the gurney flap is a small appendix installed at the trailing edge of the front wing, which can bring considerable performance gains. The main difference between the addition of a gurney flap consists in a large area of low pressure under the main wing that enhances the ground effect, causing both a redistribution of the 
a redistribution of the flow, observing a flow acceleration under the base of the end plate and a better interaction with the wheel. Downforce was seen to increase by approximately 24% paired with a limited increase in drag force. So that, that's because of the gunny flap producing such a massive ground effect. So that's quite amazing. And considering that you don't get much of an increase in drag, that's a very a desirable flow feature of a flow control device. And then there are another bunch of geezers. They did another study and they say, while most studies regarded regarding inverted wings and ground effect focused on a straight line condition, this study investigated the effects of the yawed condition. And the yawed condition is representative of a car operating in a crosswing, wind or wind cornering, which is when downforce is primarily required. Now, this is the funny thing because not only in F1, but in uh, passenger cars as well, all the research that's going into aerodynamics, I, I shouldn't say all the research because in the last five years, maybe a lot more has gone into cornering, but um, still the majority is for straight line. And the thing is, cars don't operate on straight line um, very often. Like even for a passenger car going down a highway, there's going to be a crosswind and that's going to affect the, the floor around the car. So straight line, like strictly straight line aerodynamics is kind of irrelevant in the real world, uh, which is why looking at the yawing condition is very important. So it was found that a change in the surface pressures caused uh, asymmetric loading on the wing, strengthening of and inhibiting of vortices, depending on the rotational sense and a reduction of in both downforce and drag. So when you're yawing, these things occur. The asymmetric loading on the wing makes sense because now you have the flow coming on an angle. One thing that happens to the wing is that the airfoil profile that the air sees is now different. So if you think about it, if you have a regular airfoil, let's say a NACA 0012, if the flow is going over it directly, like straight, it's going to see um, a certain length of the airfoil and a certain thickness. But if it comes at an angle, the length of the airfoil that it sees is much longer because it's traveling like horizontally over the wing as well a little bit. So even though the same thickness occurs, it occurs over a longer distance because it has to travel further, which effectively makes the wing act like a thinner airfoil. And it can create asymmetric loading as well in this case, and it can change vortices. So the reduction of forces because of this yaw, was attributed to a change in the stagnation locations and a reduction in the effective diffuser angle of the wing suction surface. Still regarding yaw angles, yaw conditions, sorry, some other geezers studied the effects of a cornering of cornering on a multi-element wing ground effect. So asymmetry was the general rule regarding the on-surface pressure distribution. The change in downforce generated was minimal, while drag was found to increase in the cornering condition and decrease in the fixed yaw condition. So in other words, the drag increased when the car was cornering in a dynamic fashion, whereas when it was cornering in a, st a static fashion, a fixed yaw condition, the drag dropped, which is interesting. And they say this was due to the combined effects of both a variable local yaw and a higher friction velocity at the outboard tip, leading to modifications to the surface pressure distribution. The downstream, downstream trajectory of the vortices was also significantly altered between the straight line and cornering cases, which are governed by the direction of the free stream flow. That makes sense because the vortex is going to be carried away differently depending on what angle the flow is coming in at. So moving on to the new regulations for F1, 
they say it aims to reduce the loss of performance when following another car through the change in aerodynamic design philosophy. The goal is to implement a set of changes in order to obtain more downforce from the underbody of the car, relying less on overbody aero such as wings. So what they're saying is they want to declutter everything on the vehicle to reduce how much dirty flow is hitting the car behind you. So it makes it more competitive. If you have a lot of dirty flow hitting the car behind you, their aero stuff is not going to perform as they wanted it to. So it's going to cost them time. Now, this is to make it more competitive, obviously. So obviously one or a couple manufacturers are dominating the uh, competition and they wanted to bring other manufacturers in to make it still interesting. Otherwise, people would stop being interested in it. So that's why they moved to this um, simpler setup for wings. As I mentioned earlier, instead of 14 elements, they're down to a few elements and they're looking at the underbody to produce to produce downforce. So to look into this, these researchers did an experiment themselves with a front wing and they looked at how the front wing affects the uh, the front wheel aerodynamics. So the front wing composed of a main plate and two individual flaps. And the main plate has a cord of 25 centimeters. The first flap has 14.8 centimeter cord and the second flap has a cord of 11, 11 centimeters. So they get successively smaller and they get tilted at different angles. The second flap is the only one that can rotate around imaginary an imaginary axis. So that can change the uh, overall angle attack of the entire wing. Now this is an important point to note. The wheel rim is covered resulting in no cross flow through the wheel. This is important because it affects how the flow goes around the shoulder of the wheel, so that the, the edge of the wheel, and it affects separation patterns over the wheel. So this is not necessarily um, inaccurate, it just means that it's not applicable to every vehicle out there, only vehicles with either very small um, openings for their rims or no openings at all. For the ones that have significantly open rim, rims, for example, if you look like look at a Lamborghini car, for example, their rims are very open usually and very aggressive looking. That changes the aerodynamics dramatically. So this is just for a closed rim. So components such as brake ducts, wheel hubs, tire deflectors, suspension, and underbody were not considered. So that's, again, very simpl uh, massive simplifications. And have the geometry here of their wing where as i mentioned they have the main wing and then they have the two flaps behind it and they have an end plate connecting all three and interestingly the trailing edge of each flap is curved and it gets more and more curved as you go to each flap downstream so going on to their results they had a bunch of different measurement planes and they non-dimensionalized the free stream velocity it was 50 meters per second and they are now just making that um, the non-dimensional parameter and that's good because it means that you can just compare things very easily so they say in formula one it is common practice to examine the complex flow structures with a total pressure coefficient analysis the, the total pressure coefficient is a non-dimensional parameter which translates uh, to the energy of the flow relative to the car now this is a really important point because i remember giving a lecture once to um, some master students who were learning about f1 cars in general and i brought this this point up i took I had a picture of an F1 car and I had a few um, planes going through with different total pressure coefficients plotted on there. And I asked them, why is this important? Like, why do we care about the total pressure coefficient? And it was a good discussion. Um, they, 
they learned a lot out of it, I think. And the reason why the total pressure coefficient is so important is because it tells you how much energy is left in the flow. It also tells you how much energy you've taken out of the flow. So if you have the plane upstream of the entire object, the CPT is going to be one or whatever value you want. It's going to be one though. And then as you go through the objects, um, these objects are going to take energy out of the flow because of drag and other objects are going to channel the flow. So then in certain regions, you can have a higher CPT, a higher total pressure coefficient. That means you have more energy in that region or less energy in the regions where the flow is being um, de-energized. Why this is important is one, it tells you which objects are taxing your flow the most. It also tells you which objects are going to be seeing a slower flow. So how they perform. So that's a very important to understand. That's why the total pressure coefficient is such an important parameter. And that's what we use it. So analyzing the total pressure coefficient plots at z equals minus 0 0.8. So this is um, just up, just behind the uh, wing element. They have the wing, the uh, vortex forming near the wing tip, but inside the plate. As they increase the angle of attack of the wing from 30 degrees to, sorry, from 30, yeah, 30 degrees to 34 degrees, the wing tip vortex gets stronger and stronger. It's not technically wing tip vortex, but I'm just going to call that that because that's where the geometry is. It gets stronger and stronger. The loss becomes greater. Now, between 30 degrees and 32 degrees, the overall size of the wingtip vortex uh, actually reduces. But if you look at the core size, it increases dramatically. So overall, I imagine that the loss of the vortex is greater for 32 degrees than 30 degrees. And then at 34 degrees, it's just massive. It's much greater. And that's partly because the wing is producing so much more lift. Then as you go further downstream, this vortex develops and it kind of splits in two the loss regions. So at an angle of attack of 32 degrees, it's quite obvious where you have two regions that have been split and two low pressure uh, regions. And it becomes more and more um, exacerbated at high angles of attack, which makes sense because at high angles of attack, the wing is producing more lift, which means this vortex is going to get stronger and it's going to be more lossy. So, and it's also going to take longer for it to break down downstream. Moving on to the wheel. So influenced by the flow coming from the wheel, from the wing, the wheel aerodynamics behave differently depending on the flap configuration, which then influences the feeding process of the underbody due to its proximity. So in other words, the angle attack of the wing affects the wheel aerodynamics and then what's coming off the wheel will then feed the underbody of the vehicle differently. So that's why the wing is so important. The wheel wake can be divided into two regions, an up, upper wake and a lower wake. The lower wheel wake extends further downstream, which is explained by the ground presence and the jetting vortex. So in other words, the wake coming from the lower part of the wheel is usually much stronger and it persists downstream and that means that more and it means that it affects more of the car. So at a plane of minus 2.1, which is very downstream, it's uh, like an entire wheel diameter downstream, Placed where the intake of the underbody would be, the weight coming from the wheel is generally about the same size for both the 30 degrees and 32 configurations. 32 degree configuration. That said, the ladder sees the lower wake more to the side, disrupting the area of intake more. So, in other words, at 32 degrees, for some reason, the wake in the lower part of the region of the wheel gets pulled towards the car more than at 30 degrees, and that's going to affect the intake for the engine and um, the rest of the aerodynamics more. So with regards to 34 degrees, 
A wider but significantly shorter wake structure, which is also located closer to the chassis, can be observed. So that's true as well. It, it's not as close as the 32 degree case, but it's definitely closer than the 30 degree case and is much bigger and much more lossy. It covers like twice the area and gets down to a much lower total pressure coefficient. So looking at the streamwise velocity at the Z plane of minus 1.75, so a little bit further upstream, but still behind the wake, behind the wheel, the wake shows a very similar structure between the 30 degree and 32 degree cases. Both exhibit areas of strong reversed flow that are contained within the profile of the tire. So these two um, configurations produce the quintessential um, aerodynamic wake for a long tire. Even though the, the wing has um, affected the wake a little bit, you still get a very similar case if you didn't have any wing. The wake is you have the jetting vortex and then behind the upper part of the wheel you just have a massive like a block of wake and then as you go down towards the ground it sort of tapers down and then comes out into two jetting vortices and the loss becomes greater in the 32 degree case the jetting vortex is not as present as in the 30 degree case and then in the 34 degree case it is present and it's moving towards the underbody a lot it's really um getting pushed out a lot so as you increase the flap angle of the the upstream element the wing the wheel wake really gets like pushed into the ground and pushed to the sides i say further downstream at a plane of minus 2.1 uh, which is very downstream a similar behavior is observed the wake structure is again similar between the baseline so 30 degrees and the 32 degree cases however the strong reversed flow regions are no longer present the containment of the wake structure within the profile of the tire may be an explanation for the lack of advection of the reverse flow downstream of the wheel. So as you go downstream, the wakes break down, but the wake in the lower part of the, near the wheel, in the lower half, still persists because that's the stronger part anyway. And this jetting vortex is still a menace. It's a menace to society. <laughs> and <laughs> as you increase the, the angle attack of the front wing, the, the um, same trend occurs where the lower part of the wake really gets pushed out and it gets to the underbody and persists more downstream than the upper part. So with regards to the angle attack of 34 degrees for that configuration, the wake is rather different. Observing a fairly large area of downwash behind the central region of the wheel, this observation goes to justify what was seen in the streamwise velocity analysis. Because as the separation points moves rearwards, the downstream Downwash generated in the central region of the wheel wake increases incrementally, leading to the resultant wake that is closer to the ground, shorter and further apart. So let's just talk about this in English. They're saying as you increase angle of attack, the um, wake for the lower half just becomes much greater and stronger and it persists downstream and um, really fans out a lot more and covers more of the body. So more aggressive upstream wing is not necessarily good for the wake of the wheel and then for the rest of the body. So let's move on to the conclusion. So before I go any further, I just want to say to make sure to like and subscribe this, it really helps us out. And check out the Atmosphere Hawk. If you're doing any experiments, aerodynamics experiments at least, you should be measuring the density of the air that you're using. The reason why that is, is because the density of air changes by about two to four degrees two to four percent on a regular day and that's just normal it can change more if you have storms or between seasons and that so that means that that two to four percent error is persisting throughout your entire 
experimental campaign. And then if you want to use that data to validate your CFD, it then gets even worse because now your CFD are using a different density to what you think you're using. And then you're going to um, get a lot of errors there. So make sure to pick up the atmosphere hall, link in the description, and let's continue with the conclusion here. So finally, as one of the primary downforce limiting mechanisms, the vortex down breakdown occurring underneath the wing has considerable repercussions on its performance. Further downstream, wheel wake management is also impaired, as only a coherent vortex could significantly influence and laterally contain the wake of coming from the wheel. The, present, the pressure increase provided by the stagnation point at the most upstream location of the wheel is greater than that which may be obtained by increasing angle attack, explaining why the flap configuration has little to no influence on the upper edge vortex. However, comparing the upper up and low uh, parts of the wake, the latter extends further downstream, which is explained by the ground presence and jetting vortex. So you have just a much stronger wake in the bottom half, and that's persisting downstream. As the separation point on top of the tire moves rearwards, the downwash increases incrementally, which explains the higher wheel drag and also leads to a resultant wheel wake that is shorter and further apart. The delay of the separation point is a consequence of the increased upwash produced by the more aggressive flap configuration. The strong regions of reverse flow observed behind the wheel were no longer present further downstream. The containment of the wheel structure, or the wake structure, sorry, within the profile of the tire may be the explanation for this lack of advection regarding the reverse flow. Finally, when compared to the downforce fluctuations, higher drag force fluctuations are detected. This occurrence was attributed to the proximity between the regions of instability, so the vortex breakdown, and the wing's trailing edge. So that's the end of this podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe, and check out the Atmosphere Hawk, as I mentioned earlier. Link in the description. Peace out, amigos.